Hello, welcome to the Tech for Good podcast. We are very passionate about two things, technology and our world. In each pod, we will be interviewing some fascinating people, business leaders, but those with a special interest in solving the biggest issues facing humanity today. Think the environment. Think healthcare provision during a pandemic. Think global social injustice. If you want to know more about technology's immense potential to fix and transform, then you're in the right place. In this episode, I speak to Christian Ron. Christian is CEO and co-founder of Normative, a company that has built software to help drive corporate sustainability. To achieve net zero, businesses are having to be more efficient and thorough in measuring their carbon impact. In the interview, Christian talks about Normative's approach and how it ensures accuracy across a value chain, and he shares his own story encompassing philosophy, mathematics, and the battle against climate change. But first, I ask Christian for his definition of carbon accounting. That is a great question. I think the best way of answering it is to perhaps uh, like use normal financial accounting as, a, as an analogy. When you do financial accounting, you essentially look at the movement of money. I mean, money is the main unit of analysis and you account for uh, how money is moved between different accounts that is aggregated up to a, to a profit and loss statement. Uh, but the experience of the 20th and 21st century has been that just counting for money uh, is painfully inadequate uh, because it doesn't take externalities into account. I mean, essentially things such as climate change that affects our planet on a global scale is not taken into consideration. Uh, so that is how, how carbon accounting uh, emerged so so what carbon accounting is is you know essentially you track the kilos and tons of of co2 that is produced uh, from the operations uh, of a company uh, but also quite crucially in in their value chain um, and the standards for for carbon accounting and, and the main standard called the greenhouse gas protocol has existed for a bit more than 20 years uh, and when you talk about carbon emissions accounting, you typically divide things into uh, three scopes. Uh, and, I, and I think, you know, an overview of those scopes can, can be useful for the rest of the uh, conversation as well. Um, if, I, if I throw out some, some terms, um, you know, such as scope one, two and three. Uh, so, so scope one is essentially defined as the emissions uh, from the operations of the company. So everything that is under the operational control of the company. So it could be uh, the vehicle fleet. Uh, it could be uh, if you have, if you're, for instance, an in energy business, it might be, you know, burning of fossil fuels. Uh, if, if you're a farmer, it might be released of, of methane from your, your cattle, essentially, you know, burping and farting. Uh, so it is, it, it is everything under your operational control. Scope two, is indirect emissions uh, from utilities. So it can be heating of offices, uh, purchase of, of electricity, uh, or other types of, of energy from a, a utilities provider. Uh, 
And scope three is all of the value chain based emissions that can be both upstream and downstream. Uh, so it can be purchased goods and services uh, that you use to produce your product. It can be business travel, it can be transportation, it can even be you know, investments in, in other companies. Let's say you're a uh, bank and you lend money, or let's say you're an investor and, and you invest money in other projects. It, it's the emissions from, from that, you know, the entire value chain upstream and, uh, and downstream. So you know, that is essentially what carbon is. It is calculating the emissions in your operations and inside of your uh, value chain. Uh, but you, know, you ask what it is, but I quickly want to say also why, why I think it's incredibly important. Uh, I mean, right now, in order to avoid a global climate catastrophe, we need exponential climate action. It means that in order to uh, stay below one and a half degrees, uh, we need to slash our emissions in half every single decade. Uh, and in order to do so, uh, we need to bridge the so-called funding gap. So essentially, we need to move trillions uh, from non-sustainable activities and companies to sustainable companies and activities. We need to shift like the entire world GDP uh, from, from non-sustainable companies and activities to sustainable companies and activities. But in order to actually do so, we need to be able to track uh, on a company level if they're doing good or if they're doing bad. We need a rigorous definition of what good looks like, and we need a rigorous way of, of tracking it. Uh, and, and right now, uh, we are failing uh, spectacularly in, in that regard. Uh, and, and you know that's why normative exists we we try to um our our mission is to help our customers achieve net zero emissions uh help uh to tackle the problem of of involuntary greenwashing uh which i can you know talk hours about and, and we can talk more about that later uh but i i you know i think it was important as well to to answer the question like why what why is this crucial uh, so that that is the kind of long answer to your question. No, it's a brilliant introduction to the topic, Christian. And you introduced Normative as well, your company there. Tell us a bit more about how you work with businesses. So we take our businesses on a net zero journey. Uh, so what that means is that we want the companies that we work with in the end of the day uh, to go net zero emissions by 2050. Uh, and that is not something that you might do from day one, right? Uh, I mean, some of our clients do it from, from day one, but the important thing here is the journey. And, and the way the journey looks like is, is that we, uh, first of all, help our clients uh, account for their full carbon footprint, uh, both in their own operations, uh, but more crucially, estimate the emissions in their value chain as well. Um, then we propose some concrete actions that they can take uh, to reduce the emissions uh, within their op own operations first. That should always be the first priority because it's easier to control. I mean, you can switch to renewable electricity, you can upgrade your vehicle fleet. There's a bunch of things that you can do that are low hanging fruits uh, to decarbonize. Um, but then after that, we help them engage their value chain. So that essentially means, you know, can they take the right actions and, and work with their suppliers uh, upstream or, or downstream 
to to decarbonize um, and and of course an important part of of the journey as well is you know setting the the right type of uh, of, of targets uh, and there we use uh, the UN uh, race to zero criteria uh, as the main kind of compass of you know here is you know what an acceptable uh, target looks like. I mean, we, we and, and it, it's a long journey. I mean, it, it's a journey that will last for 10, 20, maybe 30 years. Uh, so we, we work with them on, on an ongoing basis uh, and, and try to uh, move them in the right direction. Yeah. I imagine, Christian, that it's a big challenge to, to accurately measure a company's carbon footprint. And when you think about the value chain as well, to, to deliver accurate an accurate picture there as well I imagine it's challenging well how, how are you doing that what, what is the technology that is helping you deliver both that and and the accuracy that you need as well that is a great question uh, in our experience um, the main source of inaccuracy in carbon accounting is, is first of all the scoping so essentially what we see is that the carbon accounts between different companies are not comparable at all. Uh, it, it's a little bit, you know, like handing in your profit and loss statement on, on a napkin. Uh, it, it is not comparable. It is not standardized. And, and the main problem is, is scoping. And what I mean by that is that, you know, some legal companies decide that, you know, we we're going to start by, by just accounting for some emissions in our operations. We might uh, account for electricity or your v our, our vehicles. Uh, some might go a little bit further and say, okay, let's add you know transportation as, as, as well. But in order to scope properly, you actually need to include everything. So the way we assure, assure that things are properly scoped is that we say, uh, if this, if it is a cost in your profit and loss statement, uh, then it should be accounted for. Like it, it, you know, it doesn't matter if you bought it from from an external supplier. It should be, you know, all of your electricity bills. Uh, it should be purchase of, you know, raw materials, uh, transportation, like everything that you have paid for. Uh, we need to to estimate that. So we start with a so-called spend-based analysis, and how it works is that our clients they take data from their uh, ERP systems and accounting systems and upload that into normative. And then we can analyze every single invoice and, and estimate uh, the emissions uh, that, that they have. Um, and then of, that is called a so-called hotspot analysis. So that with that type of analysis, they will see what are the largest sources of our emissions, what are the largest suppliers, um, and what are the largest categories. Is it business travel? It almost never is, right? Uh, but then we can tell them, okay, it, it, it's this category that you need to work with. Uh, then we will ask some follow-up questions um, in order to get more accurate data. I mean, for instance, just by looking at the spend uh, of, of you know, electricity, you might not know, is this a renewable or non-renewable electricity contract? Uh, we might not know the exact number of kilowatt hours. Uh, so then we ask that kind of follow-up question, you know, is, is this renewable or non-renewable electricity? Uh, what is the exact number of kilowatt hours? So that way we can improve the accuracy uh, of the calculations. Uh, but I think finally, um, on 
the value chain, uh, it is important to to engage uh, them and get you know accurate data from them as well. Uh, and that is sometimes you know hard work because most of the companies in your value chain will have no clue what their carbon emissions are, and and that's why it's important to have you know the kind of carbon accounting infrastructure that we have developed that is easy to use. Uh, so we can actually, you know, when, when our clients tell their value chain, you need to account for this, they actually have a solution as well. I mean, you, you can account for this and, and here is, is, is the tool uh, for, for you to do so. And it's actually not that uh, complicated. Uh, so that is like a, a long, rather long answer uh, to a ra rather complex uh, issue. <laughs> Yeah. Now, I know, Christian, that many people, I think, are intimidated by the challenge that we face when it comes to, to, to this issue, carbon reduction, the future of our planet, ultimately. Can you offer the listeners some encouragement about, you know, some of the work you're doing with your clients right now? Like what scale are you operating at? And also talk about the work you're doing with the United Nations as well. Yeah. Uh, so we we work together with the partners of the UN Race to Zero campaign, which is a part of the UNFCCC. Uh, so we work, for instance, with the Exponential Roadmap Initiative, which, which is a part of, of the UN Race to Zero campaign. Uh, we also started something called the uh, SME Climate Hub, uh, which is geared towards smaller businesses, uh, together with the Weaving Business Coalition uh, and the Exponential Roadmap Initiative. Uh, and, and the work we try to do there is, first of all, we want to standardize uh, how carbon accounting is done. We want to standardize, standardize what is the definition of, of net zero emissions. Um, and we want to encode those standards into software uh, in the same way that, um, that financial accounting has been encoded into software. I mean, you don't use like, you know, manual sheets anymore. Uh, you, you use uh, automatic, highly automatic, um accounting solutions that just you know feeds data from your banking system or you know your other types of, of erp invoicing procurement systems in order to produce your pnl and i think that is what what is needed ultimately to encode standards and principles into software to really have comparability in, in order to have apples to apples comparisons between uh businesses and just for, for a frame of reference uh like SME Climate Hub that we started with the Vini Business Coalition and, and Exponential Roadmap Initiative. Uh, so far, we have uh, 4,000 uh, small and medium-sized enterprises that have committed to net zero emissions uh, over the past year. Uh, and that is almost half of all companies on the entire planet uh, that uh, took a net zero uh, target. Uh, so I think you know the the work that we're doing together with our partners are really really having having an impact like you know uh, to to the extent that that it's actually uh, the major uh, source for for com companies to to uh, publicly commit to to a net zero target. Hi, I'm Daniel Brigham, editor of the Tech for Good magazine. I hope you're enjoying this pod, and if you want more, why not head over to techforgood.net for some amazing and thought-provoking stories. You can read about one company's mission to use digital technologies in the fight against HIV, or learn how social media can help refugees take control of their narratives. 
For those insights and more, read and subscribe at techforgood.net. I want to learn a bit more about you. I think you have to be a special kind of personality, Christian, to want to make it your mission in, in life to try and solve one of our one of our biggest challenges. Um, when did you first become interested in this idea of of you know carbon accounting, tackling this challenge? Like can can you remember when you sort of first thought I'm gonna make this my mission? I think it started very early. So I think the red thread, if you want to find one in, in my life, is that I have a submission to try to live my life with full intentionality. And to me, that means living my life according to my values and being very explicit on what my values are. Uh, so at, at age six, seven, I, I decided to become a uh, vegetarian, for instance, uh, when I kind of realized that we had this like pet uh, petting zoo uh, close to to where where I lived, uh, you know, in, in the countryside of, of Sweden, uh, and uh, kind of making that connection that you know the same animals like you know pigs or goats or whatever that that I was petting as a child was you know the the same animals that I then later ate and and that got slaughtered that created a disconnect and I think that disconnect of not living to my 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 values uh, created a lot of of you know, cognitive dissonance to me, which is incredibly uh, uncomfortable. Um, and and later, a few years later, when we got an internet connection, I got obsessed uh, uh, on philosophy. So I started to read like everything on on Wikipedia or forums on on philosophy. Um, and I, I I discovered a philosopher called Jeremy Bentham. Uh, He's essentially a seventeenth, eighteenth century um, philosopher uh, that invented something called utilitarianism. Uh, and what he said is, okay, the the purpose of of societies and the purpose of life is to create as much happiness and well-being as, as possible. Uh, that that is the only thing that matters. Uh, so I got a little bit obsessed with 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 that idea. Like, I mean, is this something that you can actually account for like what would it be possible to account for the total you know well well-being on society and then of course everything that affects well-being um and i quickly came to the conclusion uh that the most biggest threat to global well-being are global catastrophic risks and extinction events because then you do not only kill everyone on planet Earth today, all animals, all humans, but you also kill everyone that might live on planet Earth for the next, you know, billion years that the Earth will exist. So that's like a humongous catastrophe. And especially if if you uh, think about the fact that we might be alone in, in alone in the entire, you know, galaxy and universe. It so. Uh, it is the biggest catastrophe. So if I could just prevent that type of extinction events, uh, you know, with you know 0 0.001 probability or whatever, uh, you know, that that would still be a, a worthwhile thing to do, ma mathematically speaking. Um, so 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 that became a little bit of my my life mission. Um, I found a couple of friends like. Um, a bit more than a decade ago that, that had the same 
kind of view and, and philosophy. Uh, and that led, you know, later led to something called the effective altruism movement, which has been like a big kind of, you know, in, inspiration of, of, of mine. Um, so I think that explains a little bit, you know, my background and sentiment. Academically speaking, I'm, I'm you know, a philosopher and, and, and mathematician. Uh, so, and, and, you know, I think climate change, talking about global catastrophes is, is the most uh, pressing one right now. It's also one of the catastrophes where the world is starting to mobilize. So now we just need, you know, the right metrics uh, and the right accounting for, for, you know, capital to be allocated to, you know, from non-sustainable activities and companies to sustainable companies and activities. So that is, you know, a little bit about, you know, my my history from kind of a philosophical point of view and and uh, why why I you know started this business in the first place. Yeah, fascinating story, Christian. Tell us a bit about your time here in the UK and your work and research at, at Oxford University. Uh, yeah, so I think that is a part of the journey. Uh, so the reason why I actually moved um, to to Oxford is because a friend of mine. Uh, Rob Wiblin and, and, and Will McAskill and, and a few others uh, started this new organization called the Center for Effective Altruism, uh, which, you know, the, the kind of core principles in the effective altruism movement is, is to, um, to try and, uh, and, and essentially create as much impact as possible, given the resources that you have. So I actually moved in order to work for, for that organization initially. Uh, but then there was also this research institute at the University of Oxford called the Future of Humanity Institute. Um, that is, and, and that institute is, is still around and, and doing really, really good research. Uh, and it, it's concerned around having an adem academic rigorous approach of, of analyzing uh, global catastrophic risks and existential risks essentially what what things can happen uh, for humanity and life to go extinct and how do we prevent it um, so so when i was there in oxford working for center for effective altruism uh, i i got this uh, job offer to start to work for the future of a humanity institute and i had like an admired their research for a really long time uh, and i worked as a project manager there uh, so it meant that i was uh, acting as an amplifier to rest of the researchers, uh, applying for you know grants uh, in, in order to make sure that you know our research projects uh, got off the ground. Uh, I also uh, uh, helped to uh, kind of both with with the grant making and 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 uh, helped another guy you know Hugh, Hugh Price and and. Uh, Martin Rees and, and John Tallinn and, and Sean set up a similar research institute at the University of Cambridge called the Center for the Study of Existential Risk. Um, so, I mean, I, I mostly did kind of, you know, admin to, to amplify everyone else uh, to do their good research. But with, with that said, I mean, my, my background was in philosophy and mathematics, same as, as everyone else. Uh, so, so I was very much like a part of uh, of the discussions and, and trying to you know give give feedback and input to what everyone else was doing. Christian, this is clearly a topic that you take incredibly seriously with your business now. Normative, normative, as we've said, you know you're you're addressing this with businesses. 
Are business leaders, do you think, taking this issue seriously enough right now, in, in your opinion? Of, of course, they're not taking it seriously enough. Then, then we wouldn't have a problem uh, if everyone took it seriously enough. Uh, but I think things are starting to change. Uh, we're starting to see uh, some serious commitments uh, towards net zero. Uh, but I think there is a high chance for involuntary greenwashing. I think we're seeing a lot of good intentions right now. Uh, but the problem is that there is a lack of, of knowledge on how to properly uh, account for your emissions, uh, which kind of damages the credibility of the net zero targets. So for instance, just a few days ago, you could read in, in BBC and a, a few other places. Uh, so there was this analysis of uh, 25 uh, large uh, corporates and their net zero targets and how most of them, uh, actually, I think everyone except for one was overstated. Uh, and what that means essentially is that they said they would go net zero, but they didn't fully take their scope three emissions, their value chain based emissions into account, uh, which doesn't make you know the net zero um, target credible. Uh, and I think this is not due to any malicious intent. I think it's just a lack of knowledge and a lack of standardization. Uh, and what you see a lot as well is, is that businesses think they can go towards net zero by uh, investing in uh, forest off uh, carbon offsets. So essentially, you know, planting trees or paying to preserve patches of forests. Uh, and there's plenty of research that shows that, you know, a, 85 to 90 percent of those projects uh, actually don't reduce emissions at all. Uh, and again, you know, this is something that most businesses are not aware of. They think they're doing the right thing, and they think that the, there's this like easy solution for them to to avoid their emissions by just planting trees, which is not true. Uh, so I think uh, for us, it's really important to be a trusted advisor uh, in order for companies to avoid. Uh, involuntary greenwashing because no I, I think none of them actually want to to do greenwashing they i mean it damages their their reputation um so i think companies to summarize your question uh, the, the answer to your question i think companies are not doing enough but i think i see a shift uh, i see a lot of companies uh trying to do the right thing uh but they need partners uh, that can help them on on that journey uh, in, in order to avoid, uh, you know, potential involuntary greenwashing. So if, on a final point, Christian, what do you see as, as the way forward? Because it sounds like from what you're saying there, that education is still a big part of it as well. People, you know, within voluntary greenwashing don't necessarily know that they're doing it. Obviously, that's the definition of it. And then the technology piece, the partnerships, as you said there, do you see all of that eventually kind of coming together in, in a really positive way? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think the way forward is greater standardization. Uh, so you essentially need the same rigor of carbon accounts uh, as your profit and loss statement. Uh, and I think the way forward is more and more investors starting to incorporate that climate risk uh, into their overall risk calculus. The way I see it, um, there is an implicit cost of carbon in the PNL, the profit and loss statements of all 
businesses on the planet. And everyone is clueless of what that cost is, but it is there and it is real. And as, and there's just a matter of time as, you know, the price that you pay today for carbon will converge towards the social cost of carbon. I mean, the price that the world is paying through droughts to floods, through hurricanes and forest fires and, and, and so on. So that real price will eventually come and, and then everyone will stand there with a enormous liability uh, in their profit and loss statements that are not properly accounted for. Uh, so I think the way forward is to have the right standardization and accounting procedures, uh, but also for the financial industry uh, to take that carbon accounting seriously in their investment decisions. And also for large companies to take it seriously in terms of deciding you know, what companies and partners in, in, in my value chain uh, should I work with and not work with. Uh, so I think we're in the right direction and I'm, I'm, I'm quite hopeful that we will be able to uh, do a lot of good things uh, go, going forward and, and hopefully stay below uh, 1, 1. 1.5 uh, degrees. That was the Tech for Good podcast. Listen, subscribe and rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Stitcher.